Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Do you have these? All right. Uh, if I could get a couple men to hand out the outline tonight, we're doing the same thing we did last week. This is part two, what the world needs, part two. And my wife has the outline down here. And I've not, uh, we've not done anything with blanks or anything like that. I'm just giving you the full preaching outline. And last week we, we only got through Roman numeral one, so I've condensed it down and I've finished out the rest of the lesson. And we hope to finish it up tonight because next week we won't be uh, I won't be speaking. Brother Roberts will be with us, and I don't want to interrupt it. So we'll try to get through. If we don't get through number four tonight, it's more for, for reference, all right? We will we'll, we'll touch on it, but it's more for reference anyway. So let's, let's look tonight at the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we'll get those handouts to you as quickly as we can, and we want everybody to have one. I was encouraged this morning to hear a testimony from Chad Boonstra. He had stopped in... Tim Morton's in Delhi, and he said there was a man, a young man outside uh, on a break, and he was smoking, and uh, just he worked there, and he was just on a break, and uh, Chad says, I came out, and I guess he was fumbling with his coffee, trying to get that little tab open, you know how that is, and he's standing there, and the, and the fellow heard a voice say, would you happen to be a Christian? And Chad went, wow. And he said, uh, he says, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, he says, oh, he said, I got to tell you, he says, I've been an alcoholic. And he says, I just quit drinking, but I don't know how long I can do it for. I'd like to talk to somebody. And I thought I might try a Christian. You know, it's interesting what opportunities the Lord will put in our path. And so Chad said he only had a short break and I talked to him a little while and he was here grabbing tracks this morning. He was excited about what God was doing. And he says, so I guess I got to go to Delhi for my coffee for a little while. So uh, but listen, whatever it takes, the Bible says, go into the highways and the hedges to go ye into all the world. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And so we have to go at some point. We can't just stay right here in our little bubble. But I was encouraged to hear that testimony and how excited he was about the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. So let's look tonight, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 tonight, and uh, you'll remember last week we, we started this passage, What the World Needs. We talked about the Great Commission, and we did some introductory stuff on the Great Commission that's not included in your notes tonight. If you did not get a copy of the notes from last week, we can give you a copy. Just email me, let the office know, and we can get you a copy right away this week. And it'll give you the introduction and Roman numeral one, which is about, it came to about a page and a half of notes. And then uh, we looked at engaging in conversation. And uh, you, you know, that, that might be a little, I don't mean to be misleading, but when we engage in conversation, I can't tell you what to say to somebody. It has to come natural. It has to, there, there has to be a flow to it. Often somebody you know and some way you can relate to them. But there are two essentials when we, when we engage in conversation. The scripture has to do the convincing. All right, the scripture, we are born again by incorruptible seed, the seed of the word of God, it says in 1 Peter. And so that's how we are born again, by the word of God. And the Holy Spirit works with scripture. And that's the second point, the spirit must prick the conscience. And so if the spirit works with the word of God, we give them the word of God and we trust the spirit to work. And sometimes we say this, we say, well, I led somebody to Jesus Christ. I want, I want you to think about it in this way. You can lead somebody to Jesus who never gets saved. Because we're just leading them there. God does the saving. The Holy Spirit convicts their heart, and then God saves them through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're just leading them to Jesus, right? And so keep that in mind. That's our job. We're not there to save them. 
We're there to do our very best to prevent the evidence of God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to work upon their lives and impress himself upon them. Listen, if somebody can plainly see Jesus, I could never understand why anybody would ever refuse him. But that's me. But a lost and dying world, they think they don't need him. And so we have to present scripture. Here's, here's why. Because the facts don't matter if people don't believe them. You say, what do you mean by that? You can go to somebody and say, you know, I, I believe if you don't ask Jesus to be your Savior, you're going to hell. Well, if they don't believe in hell, they don't care. If they don't believe in heaven, they don't care. But the Holy Spirit of God will work through scriptures to teach them the real place called heaven and hell. Teach them about their need of a Savior. It'll convict them of their sin. And that's really the first step. Once it's conviction of sin in their lives, then they'll begin to, to, to understand and see their need of a Savior. And then they'll understand what Jesus did for them. And then they can understand he prepared a place and that there's a real place called hell. Uh, we, we were interested in, uh, a few years ago, a fellow that had accepted Christ, literally accepted Christ. Uh, he had been an atheist his whole life. And... Uh, he, he said, I couldn't believe I was saying this. He says, I, he says, I was reading the news. How many of you know he went wrong right there? He was reading the news, and he said he was reading what was going on in the American politics. Strike two. And he says, he said, you know, I, I don't agree with what Mr. This was in the time of Donald Trump. I don't agree with everything he did. And he, you know, his, his, his Twitter stuff and his brashness and his language and, you know, his behavior and he says, but he says, I was sitting there reading the screen and reading the news. And I thought in my lifetime, I've never seen an attack on a president like this. This has to be of the devil. And he says, I sunk back in my chair and he says, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. If there's a devil, there must be a God. But he still didn't get saved until we sat down in Tim Hortons and opened the word of God. Open the scriptures. All right, sorry. He got saved on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday here at the church. And then later that week, we met his wife at Tim Hortons, and we opened the scripture, and she too accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had to hear the word of God. And the word of God did the convicting and convinced them of their need of a Savior. And so it's important that we understand that. So when we engage in conversation, there's all kinds of things you can talk about to get on track with the gospel. But always keep scripture in the forefront. It must provide the convincing, and the Spirit must prick the conscience. Now look at Ephesians chapter 2 tonight. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice, he quickened. He saved you. He made you alive. I, I've been to places where they've had vacation Bible schools, and the young people will get up after, and they'll give testimonies, and they'll talk about that first little child. You know, she's the little girl's only 14 or 15, and she led a little child to the Lord, and she's excited, and she says, well, I saved little Susie this week. And you know what she's saying, but we didn't save anybody. We planted seed, and we watered, but God gave the increase. And Bible also says, by the way, he that planteth is nothing, and he that watereth is nothing. We are nothing. We're just cogs in the machine that are fortunate enough and blessed enough to be used by the hand of God. Notice what it says, you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Let's pray tonight. Father, help us. Lord, may the spirit of God teach us. We surrender to you. 
We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. After we've established somebody in conversation or engaged them in conversation, one of the, the most important thing we can do is establish our condition. What were we without Christ? And I say our condition because it's important to understand we were all in the same boat with, without Christ. Every last one of us, we're all just sinners, say, by grace. And I'm thankful for where God has brought us and how he has saved us by his blood and he's put us on a higher plane and we're on a trajectory to heaven and I'm thankful for that. And we are now children in the courts of the almighty God. We are children of the king. And, and I, I'm thankful for that, that new life in Christ, but we were no different. We were sinners saved by grace. And it says that in Ephesians chapter 2. And so as we are talking to people, we have to establish, listen, nobody can be saved unless they're first lost. Until they realize that they need a savior. And a lot of people think they're okay or they can work their way to heaven or they can get there. But let's, let's show them what the word of God says. You have to quicken who were dead. Who were dead. Often if I'm talking to somebody about being dead in trespasses and sins and how we were once lost, the wages of sin is death and that's, that's the penalty for our sins. I will take them to Revelation chapter 20 where it talks about the book of life. And, and you have to be able to draw the line for them when you say, listen, if you are called dead, you're not going to be found in the book of life. This is just common sense stuff. And the Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in like a fire. It's a very black and white situation. There's no, there's no variance or no gray areas here that we need to think about. If you're not in the book of life, you must be numbered with those who were dead. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins and in time past, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Listen, I, I think it's important that we understand something that, that when we put ourselves in the same position as somebody else, we're not saying to them we're any better than you are. We're just like you. We were lost until we found a savior. You know, people honestly don't like being called sinners. They don't, like, they don't like that at all. But we have to get to the point where we realize we are sinners, that we are lost. There was a fellow years ago that we were dealing with quite regularly, and he was, he was an alcoholic. And uh, he, he said to me one day in his sober moments, he said, he says, you know, he says alcoholism is kind of a, a word from the world. He says what the Bible calls him is a drunkard. He says, he says, really, he says, what, what somebody is is a drunkard. And there was a guy in the church kind of overheard it a little bit. And the next time, about a week later, he comes staggering into church stone drunk right in the middle of the preaching time. And, and I mean, when I was preaching, I'd be quoting a verse and he'd finish the verse for me right out loud. I mean, he knew the Bible. And uh, finally, at the, it was right near the end of the service. So we closed up the service, finished the sermon, closed it up. And uh, we were going on, and I thought, I better walk this guy home. He's going to wander into the street. And he only lived about a block away. So I started walking him home, and the, this other fellow, he jumped in behind me to make sure we were safe, and we were walking down the street. And he turned around, this fellow that was drunk, and he was angry when he saw that other fellow. And he said, you think you needed help? You think I was going to do something stupid? And I'm thinking, you already did something stupid. And the guy behind me had overheard him the week earlier, and he said, he said, Stan, he says, you're a drunkard, and you need to get right. And boy, that made him angry, that word, 
But he was the one that said, that's what I am. But when it comes right down to it, no man likes to be called a sinner. Nobody does. But we have to get to the point where we realize all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what we are. The world will tell you today that sin is make-believe. It's not a real thing. That's because they want the license to do whatever they want to do. That they don't believe that anything is wrong because they don't believe in God. So how can I transgress God's law if there's no God? So there's no such thing as sin. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we may die. That's what the Bible says. But we need to establish our condition. So Ephesians chapter 2 lays out who we were in times past. And many passages of the Bible do. And we'll look at some of those later on. I want you to notice, first of all, we are lost and desperate without God. We are lost and desperate without God. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this word, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We all had our conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling desire, and on and on the scriptures go. There are scripture after, go to the book of Jude. It talks about filthy dreamers and, and all kinds of things that are happening. In First Peter, it talks about the same. Over and over in the Bible, we find what we used to be. The book of Romans is, is severe condemnation upon sin in Romans chapter 1. But we finally get to Romans 8 where there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's a rescue from our sins. But we must realize that we are lost and desperate without God. That's what the word dead means. There's, there's no more desperate situation than being dead. Dead man walking. That's what we are without Christ. Turn, if you will, to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I encourage you to turn up in your Bibles tonight. We're doing a Bible study. We need to have our Bibles open. Titus chapter 3, look at verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward men, appeared. I want you to notice the balance we see in Scripture. We say, well, I hate, I hate to call somebody a sinner. It's not as bad when you put yourself in their shoes. I was once a sinner. I was once lost. I was once disobedient. I was once outside the covenant. I, I once didn't know Christ. I wasn't washed in the blood. I was on my way to hell. And if you can humble yourselves and put yourselves in their shoes and help them understand that we are all sinners... But then notice the balance in Scripture, verse 4 says, uh, verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving not, and on and on. Verse, verse 4 says, But after that, the kindness and love of our God and Savior toward man appeared. Hey, there's good news in the gospel. Yes, you were lost, but you can be found. You were dead, but you can be quickened, made alive. There's good news in the gospel. And so we, we reflect on that Time and time again in the Bible, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 6. Verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, your works will not save you. 
But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Shame on us if we ever just beat people down about their sin and never give them the hope of Jesus Christ. We were lost and desperate without God, but with God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so we are lost and desperate without God. Number two, the law declares us guilty. Turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. You say, well, we live in the New Testament age. The, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. That's not true at all. What the Old Testament did for us, what the law did for us, the Bible said, Paul said it this way, it's a schoolmaster. It teaches us some things. There are many, many stories in the Old Testament that teach us how God deals with his people. But the law itself teaches us that we could not keep the law. That we were guilty. That there was no way. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. How many of you know that you can't keep the commandments? I mean, you can try, but you're going to fall short, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Notice what he said, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Here's the truth. If you could keep every commandment of God, if you could be sinless and perfect, you could be on your way to heaven tonight because Jesus was. But nobody but Jesus has been. We've all sinned. The Bible says it plainly. But this young man thought he was. He's. I've done all those things. I've kept all those laws. I've obeyed every commandment since the time I was a young man. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying take a vow of poverty and by giving to the poor you will earn eternal life. That's not what he's saying here. He's testing the man. Go and sell all that you have if you want to be perfect. Go and sell everything that you have. He says give everything to the poor and then come and follow me. Notice what the Bible says next, verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Well, let me ask you this. Could this young man have great possessions, put his faith in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation and be saved by grace? Absolutely he could. So what was the point Jesus was making? He still coveted things. He was still holding on to these things. And Jesus was showing to him, yes, you haven't committed adultery and you've obeyed your mom and your dad and, and you've, you've not uh, stolen, you've not borne false witness and you haven't murdered anybody. And that's often what people will say, well, I've never killed anybody, I'm pretty good. But he's saying, you still got something going on in your heart. Let me prove it to you. You're coveting riches. 
And the Bible says he went away discouraged because he had much. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ uses this passage in Matthew 19 to show us something that nobody can keep the law perfectly. We're all sinners. We're all lost. We're lost and we're desperate without God. And the law declares us guilty. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. You'll notice three verses there in the notes on the second page. Romans 3 verse 10. For there is none righteous. No, not one. Nobody is right with God. Jesus said, put it this way. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. It's unfortunate we're none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, by point of reference there, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, I've said it a thousand times, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're talking about establishing our condition. We're lost. We're sinners. Sometimes I'll do this when I'm talking to somebody. They'll, they'll say, well, I've, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Most people think they're pretty good. Do you know that? Mo- most people do. And they'll say, well, I've, I- I've, never, I've never killed anybody, just like we said a moment ago. And I'll say, I'll say something like this. Well, have you ever told a lie? Oh, yeah. Well, does that make you a liar? And usually they'll say, no, I don't think one white liar, one little lie doesn't make me a liar. Because the Bible says that the liars shall be cast in the lake of fire. And then I'll say this. How many banks do you have to rob to be called a bank robber? Just one. How many lies do you have to tell to be called a liar? Just one. We've all done it. Thank God for his grace. Because the liars are cast in like it says whoremongers and unbelievers and adulterers and liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. What a horrible, horrible thing. But we're trying to establish our condition. We're sinners. We're lost without God. The law declares us guilty. But look at letter C. Love draws us to God. Never leave somebody. When you've established your condition, never leave them there. Always let them know that Jesus loves them. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in them should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, verse 8, say it with me if you know it, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that on the worst day of your life, not the best day. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Titus chapter 3, we already read it in verse 4. It tells us that his love was shown before us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We need to understand that we are all lost without the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come humbly to somebody... And said, let me tell you what Jesus did for me because he loved me. He died for me. He paid the price for my sins. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, I, I, I believe that there's a Jesus and he died on the cross. And, you know, but I think there's a lot of different ways to heaven. Just simply ask them this. If there were a lot of ways to heaven, why did Jesus die? <clears throat> Do you think for a moment God would let his son die on a cross if there were other ways to go to heaven? 
not for a second. We must come through Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. John 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the Father but by me. So establishing our condition. But let me give you number three, encouraging conversion. Encouraging conversion. And I, I, I want you to underline that word encouraging there. We are there to encourage, not to manipulate. Right? Let me, let me show you how we can manipulate. I could, I could have a vacation Bible school next week and 100 kids sitting in these pews here, and I could say, who wants to go to heaven? How many are going to put their hand up? Every life. Then bow your head and pray this little prayer with me. You've just manipulated a bunch of kids to think they can go to heaven, and then when they get to be 16, 17, they say, yeah, I did that. And they'll never know about repentance and trusting in Jesus Christ truly to change their life. And furthermore, they'll find out their Sunday school teacher lied to them. And will they ever trust the church again? We, we have so many fake conversions because we manipulate people into praying a prayer. And it's not about praying a prayer. It's about faith in the heart that changes life. When the grace of God shines forth into that heart and, and turns them around. When we repent of our sins and turn to Christ. So encouraging conversion, we're not there to manipulate. We are there to present Christ, not to force our religion. Let me say that again. We are there to present Christ, not force our religion. Several years ago, we had a funeral at the church, and I wasn't, I wasn't presiding over the funeral. One of the assistants were taking care of it, and it was somebody that they had asked to do it. And, and uh, they got a kind of a nasty letter from somebody later that week. It had been a bus parent that had died, and they'd asked if we do the funeral, so we did. And they got a nasty letter. They said, all you tried to do was force your religion on the people that were there. I was there, and I remember the message, and I thought they did a great job. They just presented Jesus Christ as our comforter. You need Jesus. If you ever need Jesus, when somebody dies, you need that comfort. And they just presented Christ, and that's what we're supposed to do is present Jesus Christ. You know, I, 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 I like going to church and having fun with God's people. But I, I want you to understand something. If we come to church and all we get is Christ, that ought to be enough. Because that's all we need. And that's all the lost and dying world needs as well, is they need Jesus Christ. They don't need the Baptists. They don't need the church building. They need Christ. And so let's make sure that's where our focus is when we're encouraging conversion. We are there to communicate, not convert. And I can't say that enough. God gives the increase. We have to trust him to do his work. The Holy Spirit must do it. So notice, first of all, turn to first, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a, a great passage of scripture that will help us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. First of all, we must appeal to the conscience. Before you dig in on that word conscience, let me explain. It's, it's an important Bible word. We must appeal to the conscience. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Remember I said no manipulation? nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, 
commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The word conscience is used in this sense 32 times in the word of God. It is the very moral center of the life. It is the soul. It distinguishes between right and wrong and makes decisions which they'll follow. On, which they'll follow. It is what the Spirit works upon to bring a person to conversion, the conscience. We are pricked in our conscience by the Holy Spirit of God. It is the soul. And so we must appeal to that conscience. Now, I can appeal to your reason. And I wonder sometimes if there's a lot of people that, that it just makes sense to. But they don't actually have conversion in their life. They don't trust Jesus Christ because they're just adding it up like a math problem in their head. Listen, you will not get saved through logic. Because when you try to understand an infinite God with a finite mind, it just doesn't work. And so this, we must appeal to the conscience. And why, how do we do that? We, again, we must turn to the word of God. In John chapter 8 and verse 9, look at some of these verses quickly. The scribes and the Pharisees were convicted by their own conscience, the Bible says. Now, you'll remember that the Lord Jesus Christ was presented with a woman thrown at his feet, taken in the very act of adultery. And the Bible says the scribes and the Pharisees were there condemning her. And they said she should be stoned. And the Lord Jesus Christ just wrote in the sand. You remember that? And he says, let he that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they were convicted in their own conscience. That was the Spirit of God pricking their conscience. When the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ said to him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. His conscience was being pricked. Every time he dragged a Christian out to be killed. When he saw Stephen being stoned, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know what they do. We need, we need to understand that it is an appeal to the conscience. You say, well, how do I do that? You, you, there's, there's a lot of, listen, I'm not against apologetics. I, I'm interested in it, if I can say that. I think there's, there's a time and a place where we need to know how to defend what we believe from the Word of God. It's a defense of our faith. And, and so we, we practice apologetics. But apologetics is not soul winning. Apologetics appeals to the logic and the senses. It's learning how to argue the Bible. We don't need to argue the Bible when we're appealing to the conscience. Somebody said this, I... Treat the Bible like I treat a lion. I just open up the cage and let it out. Let the word of God have full effect. And so we appeal to the conscience. Second Timothy chapter four, or first Timothy chapter four says this. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So we see the other side of it, don't we? When their conscience is seared, they are closed to the things of God. And so we must appeal to the conscience through the word of God. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself uh, without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the conscience, the soul, is very important. That's where our appeal must go. You say, how do we do that? Number one, make a spiritual appeal. 
Now, I'm going to echo a little bit what we talked about last week in Roman numeral 1, but we must make a spiritual appeal. Look at verse 2. We've, uh, Paul says, I've, I've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Handling the word of God deceitfully is trying to manipulate people by using logic and reason. He said, What's lo- like, just like I did with those little kids, who, do, who wants to go to heaven? Then pray this prayer. Logically, I want to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. And so we can manipulate people. But, but he says this, I'm not going to handle the word of God deceitfully, dishonesty, craftiness, it's all gone. But by the manifestation of the truth, what is the truth? What is the truth? The word of God. Jesus prayed, thy word is truth in John chapter 17. Paul says, I'm just going to manifest the truth. I'm just going to tell them the truth. I'm going to let the word of God speak. And, and so we, we must make a spiritual appeal. Number one, we have to have a spirit-filled life. A spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. You have to be spirit-filled. Somebody said it this way. The reason we don't win more souls to Christ is because we have nothing to win them to. They don't want to be like us. We must walk in the Spirit of God. We must walk in the Spirit of God. Number two, we must have a spiritual walk with God. They need to see your life. Marvin Masker used to say this all the time. He said it real, real fast. I don't know if I can. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You got that? I think the Mark Trammell Quartet wrote a song like that, didn't they? Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, people see your life and they believe what they see more than what they hear from your lips. Oh, I love Jesus. Do they? That same drunkard that sat in our service could quote the scriptures and sing all the songs while he was falling off the church pew. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Now, I want you, in the middle of the night, I want you to wake up when you can't sleep and just repeat that over and over and over and see how many times you can say it. Paul said, I keep my body under subject, or I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What's he saying? My testimony is important. I need to be filled with the Spirit, and I need to have a Spirit-filled walk. So it's not only a spiritual appeal, it's a scriptural appeal. He said in verse 2, I'm just going to give them the truth. I'm not going to handle the word of God deceitfully. I'm going to give the truth. And so we must appeal to the conscience. Number two, and this is of utmost importance, remember when sharing the gospel, it's an appeal for Christ. It's an appeal for Christ. Now I understand Sometimes we're saying, well, let's come on over on Sunday. We got a bouncy house. Matter of fact, that's how Josh came to church just a few weeks ago, first time. Come, come and see our bouncy house. Come to our picnic. Come to our barbecue, whatever. And, and I understand, understand, those are fine if they're tools, but they're only tools. We are not inviting people to a barbecue and to a bouncy house and all these things. We are to invite them to Jesus Christ. We are to show them Jesus. 
And so it's an appeal for Christ. Look what he says in verse 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, it was interesting when Brother Chad was talking to that fella, he could have said, well, you know, maybe my church could help you. He never, when he was sharing the testimony with me, he never once related to me, at least, that he said to the guy, well, I go to Bethel Baptist Church, maybe my church could help you. He told the guy, let me tell you about Jesus. That has to be the focus, that we are pointing people to Jesus Christ. I mean, we need to get them into church, but we need to see them saved. Most important thing in their life is to know Christ and to be saved and on their way to heaven. And then we'll bring them to church and then we'll disciple them. So give them a, a scriptural appeal and we are, it's an appeal for Christ. The gospel is about Christ and we must never forget that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. It should be back just a few pages from where you are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So he says, he says, I declare unto you the gospel, I preached unto you, you've received it, you stand in it, and you're saved by it. Verse 3, here's the gospel. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you see how it all comes together? We need the word of God, the scriptures, and we need to preach Christ from the scriptures. That's what appeals to the conscience. That's what appeals to the soul. That's how we lead people to Jesus Christ. If you thought, Tonight, well, pastor, I need a soul-winning plan. I need something that's going to take me down the Romans road that I can share. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. There are so many mechanical ways of presenting the gospel that we're not spirit-filled. We're not relying upon God. I want to encourage you. Know people, get to know them, get to love people, and then share Christ with them. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Show them the scriptures. Let the word of God work upon their heart and penetrate their conscience. Now, let me give you a couple essential cornerstones. I said, well, how am I going to go out? I'm not necessarily armed. Well, you have your Bible, the sword of the spirit, amen, the word of God. And so I'd encourage you, mark your Bible up. You say, well, I can't remember. You don't necessarily have to memorize Romans 6.23. You just have to know where it is. Then you can open your Bible and you can show them, here's what the Bible says. Matter of fact, I would encourage it. Because if you're reciting it, you can make up anything. I heard a story of a fellow that he was asked to go to the hospital and witness to somebody. And he said, so I went to the hospital. And he says, I met with this fella. And he says, I got up there and, I, and he was ready, man. He, his sister had been witnessing to him. And he was ready to receive Christ. And he says, so I, I just thought, well, I better go over the gospel with him to make sure he understands. And he says, then I reached in my pocket and he says, I realized I left my New Testament down in the car. He says, but I had a black 
calendar book. It looked just like a New Testament. So he said, I pulled it out and I opened it and I just memorized it. I said, Romans 3.23 for all, have, Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. And he said, I held that calendar book up there. He never knew the difference. And I was able to lead him to Christ. He says, he says, uh, he says the next day, he says, his sister called me and she says, oh, I'm so thankful he accepted Christ. What a wonderful thing. And she says, continue to pray for him. She says, uh, once he's out of the hospital, he's got to kind of readjust to life because he's blind. He had no idea yet what he had in his hands. But let me encourage you to take a Bible, a New Testament, something. Because people, I, I mean, I could recite anything up here. I could recite anything. But if we have a Bible, I can prove it to you. I can show you what the Bible says about eternal life. Take a gospel track with you. It's important. You say, why do I need a gospel track? Because they're not going to remember half of what you said five minutes later. So take a gospel track with you. It'll help you lead somebody to Christ. It'll lay out the verses for you. It's not a crutch. Use it as an aid to help you along the way. Well, let me give you some essential cornerstones and we'll be done. Number one, prayer. Prayer. I was convicted by this thought as I was going over my notes. If I'm not praying for somebody to be saved, it's very unlikely I'll lead anybody to Christ. Boy, that convicted me. If I'm not praying for somebody to be saved, it's very unlikely I'll lead them to Christ. Prayer opens up all kinds of doors. Notice what Paul said to the church of Thessalonica. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. That we can preach freely and be glorified even as it is with you. Romans 10.1, Paul said to the church at Rome, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I'm praying for the lost. I'm praying that people might be saved. Who are you praying for? My wife prayed for her dad for 25 years before he accepted Christ. It may take a while, but it's likely if nobody's praying for them, how are they going to get saved? Oh, somebody could come along and they could believe the first time they hear the gospel and they could accept Christ. Salvation is a supernatural work by a supernatural God. But most people that I hear testimony, Wanda was just sharing with me, Two or three people she had prayed for for years and years and years that had come to know Christ because they prayed. We must be praying for people. Number two, preparation. Preparation. Are, are, you, are you ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you? Have you sat down and prepared and say, well, I, you know, if I ran into somebody today, would I be able to share the gospel with them? Would I be able to help them? A few years ago, Brother Dan Jessup was here. Brother Vogel, did he stay in your house? He's the, he's the kind of the director for Master Clubs, overall the clubs. We had him come up for a week, and he preached, and he went to Master Clubs and kind of gave us some pointers. He worked with Tony quite a bit, and we had a good time with him. He was a great guy. And Dan liked to work on classic cars. What kind of car did he have? Do you remember, Brother Vogel? You'd remember. I don't. Yeah, it was one of those cars you go, <laughs> you know, it's one of those cars, muscle car. And he had rebuilt that thing. And so he used that muscle car that he'd rebuilt and he put a picture on the front of a gospel track. You remember that? And he wrote a whole thing about 
how he restored that car piece by piece and all the work he did. And then he related to how God can restore a life. I saw that track, and the first thing that came to my mind was my Uncle Wayne was dying of cancer. And I knew I was going to see him. And so I thought, that's a track he might read. So I picked it up, and I, I took it to my Uncle Wayne. And I went actually with Jim Wilson. Jim has known him his whole life as well. And the two of us went in, we sat with him. I said, Uncle Wayne, I want you to see this. I said, look at that car. And my, my uncle had restored a couple Cadillacs and really enjoyed doing that later in life. And so I said, look, look at this, Uncle Wayne. And he says, man. He says, he did that? We talked about that a little bit. And I said, I, said, I want you to read that. I said, it's more than just about the car. I said, it's about our lives, how God can restore your life. He's, and he kind of got defensive. Just set that over there, Alan. I might look at that later. He didn't want to do it in front of me. But I thought, I wonder if he picked that up and looked at it. A few days later, I went back with Ida, and I noticed it had been picked up and moved over to the other table. And I thought, I think he looked at it. You see, we, we need to learn how to relate to people. And little things like that can help. But we have to be prepared. Prepare our hearts to give an answer to somebody. The way we can prepare is to know some key scriptures. And so I've written them down there for you. I would encourage you to memorize these scriptures. They're not hard. We say them all the time. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.13, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 1.12, I love this verse. Listen, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. What, what a wonderful promise. And then 1 John 5.13 says, uh, These things have I written unto them that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. There are so few things in this world that we can know for sure, but you can know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our time is gone. And there's so much more we could share with you. Let me encourage you, use a gospel track, use your Bible, memorize scripture. But the best preparation you can do is pray for people. But when you pray, remember you have feet to your prayer. You must go and tell others about Jesus. Would you join us this Saturday? We're going to spend some time. We're going to have a breakfast together. It'll be a continental breakfast because we have a busy weekend. We have banquets and roast beef and everything going on. But Saturday morning, we're gonna, we'll have some donuts and muffins and danishes, and we'll have something there that makes you happy, I promise you. And then we're going to talk a little bit uh, about this, this app we're going to put on our phones. If you have a phone, you can put it on there or your tablet or whatever. It'll help you organize. There's prayer lists on there, and there's different things that will help us to be more organized in our approach at reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll make it a priority, and I hope you'll pray. Be prepared. Let me, let me say this. If, you, if you've committed in your heart right now, I'm going to come next Saturday. I want to come at least for the first time. I want to see what it's about. I want to be trained a little bit and how to go out and how to knock on a door, how to tell somebody about Jesus. If, if you will come, would you do this? Would you pick any three of those verses and memorize them by Saturday? There's your challenge. Just take three. They're not hard. I guarantee right now you can say Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've already memorized it. 
John 3.16, you already know. Pick three you don't know. Memorize. It will help you. It will help you. Because I guarantee when you get nervous, it's sometimes hard to find a verse. You're fumbling around. But if you know it in your heart, and when it comes from the heart, you can communicate the truth with the help of the Spirit of God as he works through his word. All right, let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Lord, we thank you for being so good to us. And what an opportunity we have. Lord, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, you have given us this ministry. Lord, I believe with all our hearts you have committed under your church to to be the light bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to preach to a lost and dying world. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let me ask you to do this right now. Would you think of somebody right now that you can start praying for to be saved? That you'll put on a list, that you'll pray for faithfully, And then you'll follow up and tell them about Jesus. There's somebody that you can tell. Would you pray about coming on Saturday? You say, well, I can't, I can't walk. I can't, I can't do all. Can you drive? Could you take somebody? Could you come to the meeting and say, you know, I, I can't go out necessarily. My health won't allow it. But I'd like to pray for the prospects that are coming in. I can do that. There's something you can do. Would you commit to it? Would you pray now?